Welcome to Learn with Lowell. With me, your host, Lowell, we discover and speak with experts, scientists, leaders, and artists every week. Our guest today is Janine Davis, who is a seasoned C-suite executive, an executive coach with over 25 years of experience in high-growth organizations like Microsoft, Glassdoor, and Headspace. She specializes in combining neuroscience and human experience to support leaders in realizing their full potential. She also runs unique programs that allow leaders to develop in nature, working with animals like horses and wolves, providing life-changing insights and experiences. Janine has also been on the show once before. If you like this, type of content please subscribe we put out two new episodes every week thank you everyone for liking subscribing and coming to us far it means a lot and i really enjoy engaging with everyone so let's stay curious learn about gene davis and her work on this episode of learn with lowell show so i think one time we spoke either uh off or on the record or i read this somewhere and a tribute to you because you're very insightful when it comes to eq and stuff and um and i think the point was that sometimes in in group settings whether it's at work or uh uh in any group, uh, sometimes people like there'll be one person in the group that picks on another person in the group, and the person that's usually picked on is usually the stronger of the two. And then when something actually happens, like the one who's picked on is usually the one who has to take care of things or something to that effect. Like the person who is picking on the other person is actually the weaker of the two, and they're like doing that to keep because they don't want to be put down or something like that. And so I wanted to start there because I, I like a couple of people wrote in saying that they have those types of dynamics where they'll have a friend group, someone comes in, and they'll just start you know picking on them. Or targeting them and trying to get them to go out so they can have like i don't know like pseudo pathetic control of the group or something even though like everyone was kind of in homeostasis yeah. and so uh i'd love to start there and just get your thoughts on like um the type of people come in and act that way and at the same time if you're being picked on like what do we do about it what do, what do people do about it people listen in if you've ever been in that scenario where someone moves into the group or you're going into a group and there's that one person it's like in front of everybody their smiles but then as soon as they people walk away they're like stabbing you in the kidneys. <laughs> then you yeah. then re you react in some way and then people get mad about it or something. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds like kind of EQ in action. So uh, should we start with a little overview of EQ or do you, do you assume that people have a sense of what it is? Oh, there'll be an intro. I'll, I'll describe it. Okay. So, so I would say, I mean, basically everything's great as long as there's only one person in the room, right? You, you add in another person and it's instantly ripe for conflict or for, for conflict. Um, so when it happens, you know, I think it really depends on the nature of the relationships. If you can have an honest conversation with the person. So let's say that you're aware of that. Let's say you're the person being picked on and you've got pretty strong emotional intelligence and you can actually stop yourself from reacting to this person coming in and picking at you. Uh, that's not going to do anything to change the behavior of that person, right? So yeah. it's a question of can you have an actual conversation with that person? I.e., I notice you know you want to do the data points. Like I noticed when you came into the room, you started to pick at me, and you know the reaction that I had is this, and the story I'm making up about what's going on is this. We have a conversation about it and try to create a more productive solution. That would be the hope. That would be like the that's the goal for for building emotional intelligence where you can have a productive conversation versus like you do something, you know, they come in, it triggers you, then you get in your reactive behaviors and you just go back and forth, which never leads to right? Yeah. Does that answer the question? Or is there a more nuanced version? Yeah. Uh I think, um, well, you, you were slightly muffled at the end, so I was like having my brain like like decipher it. But um, yeah, so one-on-one -on -one conversation, that's one way to go about it. I've heard of a couple of situations where people do that, and uh, it's like sometimes, and the ones that I'm thinking of, uh, that like it was really like the person wanted their attention. It was like, it's always like some weird, like they wanted that person's attention. And like yeah. they wanted like, they wanted like, like uh, I don't know if, uh, what the, the human terms for this is, but in like chimpanzees, they, they, they groom each other. 
they're yeah. they're like they wanted like special attention from the person that you know on some level they felt insecure about and so a one-on-one is interesting and it's definitely like go talk to them and then um but sometimes it doesn't get worked out sometimes it's like the person's just gonna keep going and then so then how do you, what do you what do you do in that case like if you're just stuck is it like a garlic to their uh, emotional vampiring of a group uh i wish no <laughs> i mean i wish i could say yes or not I think what popped into my head when you said that is there's another model that we sometimes use called CIA, which stands for control, influence, and adapt or accept. And the idea is, you know, in this situation, what can I control, if anything? And go to the next level, which is in this situation, what can I influence, if anything? And based on that, what can I either accept or adapt to? So it's like either I'm going to, you know, you can't change another person's behavior. So what am I either willing to either accept about this or adapt to or not? So the, the not might mean I'm not going to hang out with this person anymore. And it gets yeah. you somewhere at least you have some agency to be able to make a decision for yourself versus feeling like, you know, a little bit like you're stuck or you have no no choices in the situation. Hmm. Is there a, well, another, another, um, I think that's a good strategy to go down. The Another thing that sometimes happens is like, it comes to like a, like a head where for some reason the group's either picking to deal with the one person who's obnoxious or the person who's been there longer and is nice to everybody and they don't pick the person that they know longer and have a good relationship with they assume and the ones that I, i've read about the, the ones that i've seen it's like they, they it's like they always pick the more obnoxious person it's it's you know it's, i wonder why that is like hmm. I, I don't know I, I wonder why that is because like there's a there's a couple of friends i have who literally in the last like year or two had a, a similar situation at the same time there's a high schooler who listens to this show who who went through something similar to this and i listened to it so now it's in my head um where like they they were having that type of like cattiness and uh it's like uh it does seem like it's the type of people who don't grow like the people who um go into groups and do stuff like that like they're the ones who are kind of like stuck in a certain type of mindset that they're not very like growth orientated people but at the same time i'm sure there's people who are growth orientated that have those type of like flaws where they're insecure about certain things and then they attack people for them do you can I say one thing before we move on from that? It might yeah, just yeah. be the squeaky wheel syndrome. You know, it's like the loudest voice in the room often is the one that's quick, even if it's not the right voice to listen to. It's because people are sort of triggered by it and they might shut down and not not be able to react in a way that's really appropriate. Or um, there's just fear around what happens if we say something, you know, what are the ramifications of it? I've had situations that I've noticed in the past where uh, there was a disconnect between walk and talk. So I, here's our values. Let's, let's take a company. You know, it's like, here's our values. And then there's a person that doesn't really abide by those values, but they've got a really loud voice and they're making the company a lot of money. And things are oriented around that person and their needs, even if it's out of alignment with what the stated values are. Because there's, you know, that's a fear-driven thing. Like we don't want to lose the revenue. So there's all kinds of reasons. It's usually fear-based why people would, that's hmm. interesting I, I always feel that sometimes like people have these values that they say they care about but all, often it's what they tolerate that defines what their actual values are you know if i had an organization and there was a high salesperson but they like went around and like sexually harassed all the women so, and i tolerated that it's like well then that's what my value is i tolerate that type of thing like exactly. i would um yeah exactly which is why you know when we get into culture work we don't just look for the aspirational values we look for actually what's happening Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the values are not what's stated. The values are what's are represented by what is happening. Yeah. 
that's a, that's the annoying thing about if you're if you're someone out there and there's like 150,000 more tech people because they just got fired this year out there looking for jobs and you're trying to look to see like what's a good organization it's like they all say the same things on the outside and then when you're interviewing them you have to do like all this like kind of detective work to see if they're actually who they are and ultimately uh you do need to get paid or else you'll be homeless so that's kind of you know a a weird thing too there's all those things you have to worry about that's true there are ways to interview you know when you're when you're interviewing to uh, to assess better than like let's say a company says you know one of our values is integrity and you don't want to go in an interview and say you know like tell me about the integrity value you want to ask behavioral questions around that like meaning you know during the interview process what's an example or a couple of operationalized processes that really demonstrate how this value is important to you you're getting into the actual nitty-gritty of it and that helps you determine do they actually mean it and also what does that word mean especially values words you know integrity that can mean like thirty thousand things if you were to ask people what that word means they would probably all have slightly different definitions yeah in some of my interviews i ask people what happiness means to them and Uh there's like 12 or so different answers so far and it's kind of fun and when you get those like value i ask at the end and then i basically like make a model of the person and see if Uh i was right in my guesses at the end of the interview it's like okay that's interesting it's like uh you know (laughs) what do i do that to you oh i I do it to everybody i just keep it to myself (laughs) but uh after Hmm. No, I won't tell you. It's a, it's a, it's one of one of the purposes of the podcast. I never tell this to anyone, so this is kind of fun if if, if anyone else pull, uh, picks this out. One of the reasons why I interview so many different people is I'm trying to like I'm building like a mental model of people in my head, and then seeing if I can, uh, for whatever reason. But anyways, so uh, tra- tangent. Hope no one picks up on that. The, uh, um, <laughs> I just picked so, up. On- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyways, um, so when you're out there, you can do these value based assessments. But it is interesting how often. Um, like there are people out there that they'll say the right things, but they don't do the right thing. So I think like doing having the detective work and having like kind of like the mental fortitude if you show up. But there's people who are like, they'll you know when they're looking for an applicant, they'll be like being punctual is really important. But then they're 15 minutes late to a meeting. In my opinion, if you're if you're you know applying for a place and they're like five minutes late, just move on with your day. Like in my podcast, for instance, if I schedule with someone, if they're like one minute late, they're usually not showing up. Like or I've gotten an email already and I know to be uh, patient about it. But usually if someone's there within the first like 60 seconds. They'll either be there or they'll email you about it. And if not, then you just go on with your day or yeah. you can kind of like be patient. But like 15 minutes, like, I mean, are you even mentally there anymore? Like you're like working on something else. So like, yeah. I think there's, there. I, th- I like the stories where people like respected their time and like two minutes, two, you know, 10 minutes in their thing. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm, is everything okay? They check. And then they're like, okay, if I'm just going to sit here, I'm just going to move on. You guys give me a call when there's a better time. I love, I love stories like that because it shows, it shows that they respect their time. And I think that sometimes it, you have to like first respect yourself and then in respecting yourself it makes other people respect you i think right. sometimes people are like they're always compromising or they're trying to like avoid confrontation and but that it breeds more confrontation like there's all there's like a little like version of hitler in every in some people <laughs> and it's like it, when you appease them they just like keep taking czechoslovakia and then they and, and, and uh invade the rhine and poland and stuff like that so but if you say like no you can't do that or you know like and respect yourself and czechoslovakia in, in this uh a metaphor um things usually go better which is kind of interesting have you you you've um not an age comment but like you've experienced more things than me have you seen that in your life have you seen like the more that you've come to like like have the confidence of respecting yourself that things will go a little bit easier for you i think that's like people talk about if you have a lot of confidence and the internet connection you kind of like bs your way into anything but the difference is like the confidence doesn't confidence based on nothing gets you nothing eventually so like experience gets you the confidence to like 
know that you deserve to be treated a certain way. So then people respond to that. Right. Well, you know what actually popped up when you were saying all that was this concept of understand. So yeah, I'm like I'm very much like yeah, I'm very punctual. Like I'm an N exam three. I am like I get really irritated when people are late. It's like a super pet peeve of mine. Um, and I also am very aware that there are other types of people that are not that, and they just look really differently. And you know, regardless of good intentions, they are not punctual. That's just the way it is. And um, this idea of shared, you know, when, when you have a situation like that happen with somebody, you can definitely, you know, you want to you want to state what's important to you, but also you can get from the perspective of increasing shared understanding. So I think about like having a hard conversation with somebody. A lot of times it's like you think about, well, I want them to understand my point of view and they want you to understand their point of view, as opposed to what if your intention is to, you know, if you have that Venn diagram and you're over here and I'm over here want to increase the the overlap of shared understanding in the middle of that Venn diagram. And that can really help to throw this new distance out to the most respective who you are, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, sometimes uh, when there's stuff that goes on where like someone's doing something wrong, let's say like uh, someone who works for me, like some people go in there like, this is what you did wrong, you SOB. And I go in there like, hey, what, what happened? Uh, this was our goal for whatever. You know, yeah. what got in the way? And I just, I seek to understand it. By the end of the conversation, they're like, I didn't do well. This is what I'm going to do to do better. It's like, I just really listen. Like most of the time, uh, that's really all you have to do. And then like, like asking questions, because you don't know what got in the way most of the, most of the time. And I think sometimes people don't realize like what, like what you're saying, like respect means different things. Like being on time is a respectful thing to do. Maybe the other person doesn't see that as respectful, but having the conversation like helps them see that. Even, yeah. even though like to them, it's not a value that they attribute. It's like, uh, you know, it, for like a pro business, like in a in a workplace, it's like something you kind of have to adopt to be successful, or else people kind of don't like having you around. Yep. And tying that back to emotional intelligence, uh, that state of being curious is only possible if you're in an emotionally grounded state. So it's like if, you know, if you can work towards curiosity as a leader, it, it, it in and of itself means you're in a grounded state, and you always want to lead in that place. Yeah. Do you um do you feel that people are kind of like because of the stress not necessarily of COVID but just of life that they kind of go around automatically responding to things because I I spend some time people watching and I interact with people a lot and as I said earlier I I uh, the podcast is kind of like a, a study for me but um sometimes I feel like people are just reacting to life versus like curiously like deciding to go from point A to point B um I think I don't know I think some people call it like being awake or being asleep uh. I mean, do you see that a lot in your circles? Like, do is it is it? Am I am I correct in that in that observation, or, or do you see it differently? I think you're correct, and I think it, it, what it represents is that you know, with emotional intelligence, the higher the stress, the uncertainty, change going on, even if it's positive, the more likely we are to revert to reactive behaviors. The more likely we are to be triggered. So that the edges literally shift the higher the stress level. So. I don't know about you, but the last few years have been a little stressful for people. So it makes sense that that's happening more. You know, yeah. You're seeing people less curious, more rigid, more reactive, all that stuff you don't want to be. Yeah. I, sometimes when people are being uh, negative in my direction, uh, which I like, I like to believe that no one's ever negative in your direction. You know, you just like, you go through life and it's nice. But I'm sure you, you, you deal with uh, frustrating people all the time, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, when people are frustrating me, the first thing I ask is like, who are they talking to? In my head, it's like, okay, who are they talking to? Are they responding to something that happened like two days ago? You yeah. know, like, 
Uh, like sometimes my wife comes home and she's in a grumpy mood and it's like I didn't do anything. <laughs> this isn't me. I'll just like go make her a sandwich and she'll like come back like two minutes later, calm down. I was like, that wasn't you, Lil. Don't worry. It's like, yeah, I know. It's all good. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the sort of like strategies for regrounding if you get triggered is to literally ask yourself like, what, what if they didn't do this just to irritate me? Yeah. 99% of the time, people are not actively trying to irritate you. They're just in their own state, doing their own thing. And if you can ask that, it can sometimes help. Just like you do, gets you in a better state and make a sandwich. Do you, um, Art, talking about conflict that you, you go through, um, how often are you using these principles, you know, in like a daily life? Or like, or have you like, okay, because I wonder to what extent, like, you like slowly sift out negative people in your environment. And then you're in a position where you just have like really good people around you because you've had more time to do that or something. I don't know. I people out. It's more that I, I am able to, I have a wider breadth of how I can interact with every human because I'm more in, in command of myself, essentially. I've mm-hmm. built self-awareness and ability to regulate myself. So it doesn't really change who I interact with. It just changes how I react to them. Hmm. That's interesting. All the time, like I'm, you know, not not always because I'm mean, like I'm a human too, and I get triggered and super irritated by things, and I might spin out for a few days, but I can usually recognize it and do something about it productively. I, I'm pretty conscious of it, even though I get triggered. Sometimes. Yeah. So when you're in a, let's say you're in a group, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking like someone who's like 25 to 28, and because uh, it's someone who wrote to me. And they said that they're they're the group setting and the kind of to our, our earlier point, like they have like an emotional vampire in the group and you have that the process you laid out earlier. So you you would you'd find a way to do something to counteract it. But what if you're still like, you know, proverbially locked in the room with them? Do you use it is just an internal thing that you try to do to like like wow. you, it's kinda of like uh, if you're in a room full of smoke, do you hold your breath and just like take breaks often to get out of it? I mean, you know, in the moment it's important to come up with some things that are invisible that you can do to keep yourself grounded regardless of what's happening around you so i mean doing some deep breathing you can physically move your body and engage with a different part of your brain you can things like rubbing your fingers together and feel the ridges like try to tap into your senses you know so you can that's interesting pay attention to what is happening it, it, the the sense orientation will ground you so you can you know what are five things i can see what are four things i can hear mm. like that keep yourself in a grounded state until you can at least get out of the room and then go do something else that really is good. Like, you know, so I'd like to say, like, have a couple of invisible things to reground yourself. And we call those shift moves. So, i.e., shifting yourself from, you know, this ungrounded state to grounded state. Uh, and then have the things that are like the longer term or bigger things that can be really help you. So, you know, it might be exercising, hiking, for me, petting dogs, you know, cooking, calling a friend, whatever your jam is, like, whatever your thing is, know what those things are so you can be super deliberate about using them. But it is important to have the invisible ones in the room. Are the, so I've kind of talked about some of the things I, I I look for people, and you've like definitely mirrored back some things you look for. Are there other things that um, you talk? You do a lot. I try to keep up on everything that you're up to, but I don't. So like I don't have like a, a full list of things that you don't normally get to talk about. But w- when you interact with someone for the first time, like what do you what are you watching for? Are you just like taking it all in? Huh. Like what's your process for uh, like when you meet someone new? You mean like a new coaching client or just a new human? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like for our, we're at a party and I'm like, hey, this is Jeff. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, interesting. I don't really look for things particularly. Mm. I, just, I, I guess when I first meet people, I'm a naturally curious person. 
So I'm just curious about them more than anything. I don't particularly look for their qualities and I'm not doing like an assessment of, you know, who I might have like thoughts that come to me or ideas about the person, but I don't, I'm not actively looking for anything. I'm just more like, who are you? Yeah. What about you? What do you do? I just watch and ask questions and then see how they answer them. I think yeah. sometimes people, uh, people are pretty straightforward most of the time, unless they're, sometimes people aren't straightforward and they, it's pretty obvious to assume that they're not. It's so like, if I say I care about something, but you never see me do it, it's like, do I really care about it? No. It's, it's like a lot of like these big corporations like Amazon, like they'll say, we care about these things. But then they're also like making people pee in bottles. It's like, I don't think you care about your workers that much. Right. Well, that's, that's where what we call organizational shadow comes into play, which is the dark side of values and culture. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the hidden parts that usually are repressed or denied or whatever. Yeah, there's with an organization like Amazon, for instance, like they're doing that for the bottom line to make themselves more money. But I imagine there's a long term cost to treating people that way. But it, their their thing is that like people don't they basically use people up and kick them out. So even though they pay marginally more than like for like someone in a warehouse, even though they pay marginally more, like people don't really last for that long. and They don't promote them from up. So I guess that's so like that's their strategy for using people and then kicking them out. But if you try to build something long term where you have, you know, long-term gain for right. in the most evil way, like, Hey, I'm a corporation. I want to make the most money over time. Yeah. The most way, the best way to do this is to treat your employees very well as much as possible. Cause then they're going to learn and get even better and they're going to grow. And like, it kind of raises everybody. So like usually in my mind, if I think like, what's the most evil thing you can do, the most evil thing you can do is be really nice to people and then treat them well. But yeah. then you have Amazon people who like their way of, it's like they're, they're evil to people, but then they counteract it by kicking them out. So they don't have to deal with the repercussions of being evil to people, if that makes sense. Yeah, although, you know, I know some people at Amazon that love it. Like, I think it's such a massive organization that it really depends, you know, where you are in it. Um, But what you're talking about is so true. You know, there are definitely companies that do all the things, short-term gain, but rarely long-term gain. But it's sometimes hard to quantify. Like, it's really hard to quantify that in a company like Amazon, you know, because they obviously are pretty fiscally and financially successful. They're doing okay, right? everything yeah they make their uh, most of their money off of uh uh hosting like the amazon portion and shipping is actually uh i think it's like they make some money but it's like a loss later in some ways hmm. they actually, yeah yeah they, it used to be their thing but then they made um like they make so much more money off of hosting like uh like a lot more like it's like 70 percent i didn't know that yeah yeah it's the invisible ways that people make money yeah. um all right um uh, you're, you're, you're up to a lot of things. You just came from, maybe not just, hopefully you had a little break in between, but you, you came from a, a, an EQ Leadership Summit. That's how I summarized it in my head, and I didn't write it down differently. Uh, what what goes on at things like that? Do the people just kind of like Q&A you to get the information? Or are you like presenting like, hey, here are the things that we're looking for? Um, yeah. What are people What are people generally, like, basically how'd it go? It, it went great. Uh, in this particular case, it was a little bit of a, it was the topic was EQ and the overview of what it is. And then we got a little bit into the neuroscience behind change because I love that stuff. Sort of like from a physical standpoint, what happens when you are trying to change a reactive behavior to something new? And mm-hmm. then um, they did a little reflection and then did a little breakout room and then shared in a large group where they talked a little bit about what are the things that trigger them, what are some current challenges they're having either with them or their co-founders or their, their employees where, you know, people are getting triggered and what do you do about it? That was great. Yeah. 
a small group, but uh, it was a good conversation. What is the neuroscience of reactivity? So I love talking about this stuff. Okay, so there are many, many neurons in your brain, like 85 billion of them, and they sort of connect up with each other and they can connect up to, this neuron can connect with up to about 10,000 of them. So it's kind of like you become, your brain's like the matrix, right? Like the literal sort of web of interconnected neurons. And when something happens, they pair together in reaction to something. So that's what's called a neural pathway, which I know you're in the science and you probably know about that. So neural pathway just refers to a string of neurons that are connected together. And the more that that, that reaction or neural pathway is traveled, the stronger it gets through this process called myelination, which is sort of like a fatty covering that covers that neural pathway. And mm -hmm. it can be either unconscious or unconsciously reinforced. So i.e., you know, I hold up uh, here like a picture of a wolf. I don't know if you can see it. I see the wolf. It's coming through. First, first reaction. Like, what what comes up for you? Uh, for me, uh, my first reaction was, "Oh, it's fuzzy." Should I ask her to take, to take off the fuzziness? <laughs> so, can Can I get it again? I'm sorry. I was like, I was okay. like, okay, wolf in like fuzziness. I hope it doesn't bother with the, the camera. All right. Well, uh, what about the next thought around the actual wolf? Uh. There's a wolf. I, but my little thought is there's a wolf. Like I, I'm. You know, like people say they're half full or half empty all the time. Yeah. I say I'm fifty percent. Like you know, like the is it like I, yeah. I, I just look at things. Yeah, I just think wolf. Okay, it's a wolf. So most people have some kind of a reaction, which might be you know fear. It might be cute. It might be you know majestic. There, there's some reaction. Oh, okay. No, it's just wolf. Okay, so that is in, in non Lowell versions of this. <laughs> Uh, there's some neural pathway that's in their brain that, that says when you see wolf, go down this pathway and have this reaction, right? So the awesome thing is that if everything in your life is perfect, your brain's going to help you with that, right? Because you've already got these neural pathways. Um, the problem is if you're trying to change a, a reaction to something, the brain doesn't want to do it because it really it uses less energy for it to use an existing neural pathway. It's very happy to yeah. and to create a new one just takes it more energy. So let's say it's like I'm in a meeting, I get triggered when I'm interrupted. I don't like that, so I shut down. So the process of changing it is that I need to notice when I'm triggered, take a breath, do something to reset my nervous system and decide, you know what, I'm not going to shut down. I'm going to wait and have a productive conversation. So I'm actually telling my brain, create a new reaction to being interrupted. And because of that myelination process, where that makes the neural pathway stronger and stronger, it just takes a long time for it to get bigger than the existing one. That's your goal. You want to make a new neural, like default neural pathway. So that's why when we're trying to make change, it's not just like, oh, I re I realize this now, yay, I'm fixed. This is not how it works. You need to reinforce and reinforce and reinforce. And the older the old pattern is, and the more trauma induced it is, things like that, the more work you're going to have to do to create. Neural pathway being involved. So it's possible. It's cool thing is you can actually change it, but it just is not not a light speed. Yeah, it's a it's like water going downhill. It's a path of least resistance. And so, when you're in conscious control of what you're doing, like you can you can control it. But then if something hits you and it takes you off of that consciousness, oh. um, you get a, an automatic reaction. It's kind of a lot of people think of it. You know, it's like if you have muscle memory from like a sport or something. It's like that's a very you know an external obvious way of saying it, but um, just as a, another way of conceptualizing it. 
Yeah. How long um, are the pants there forever, or do they eventually get written over? Well, they can be written over. Mm. I don't think written over is the right way. I think it's more like it actually get, you create a new default, so it it sort of apt, I don't know if it acts. I don't know actually physiologically what happens. I could ask my brother; he's an actual neuroscientist. He's an MD PhD. Mm. And actually, does brain stuff. I could ask him that. I'm not sure. But one thing that popped up is you were talking about before, you know, the times of stress, you know, that, that people are kind of walking around with blinders on and whatever. Um, that's something, the physiological thing that'll happen, just like we talked about was EQ, higher the stress, the higher the uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera, the more likely you're going to going down your default neural pathway. So that's why when we're building emotional intelligence, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back. And that's okay. Like, I want to normalize that. It's not as though it should be just a beautiful linear progression. It's just not how it works. But your brain yeah. does, you know, if you're super stressed out, your brain really wants to control that because it's busy handling some kind of panic, right? Mm -hmm. And you definitely want to go down the old, old default. Yeah. Is, um, how does the process of having like uh being conscious and being aware of where you are at a given point and being like hey I'm, I'm grounded this is happening i'm being aware of these things uh square with like i think sometimes people are saying like be in the moment and like live in it so it's kind of like you need to live in the moment but also be aware of what the moment is doing to you at the same time i guess like how do, they feel like two different concepts you know like you're living in the moment everything's coming to you and versus um being aware of how like you're engaging with things it's kind of like if there, if there's like, I think people is like biological mech suits. So there's, we're all brains. And so like in this, in the case that we're talking about, it's like you, you're aware that your brain like interacting with the world, my arms are making things and stuff happening uh, versus uh, living in the moments like you're just engaging with the world and stuff like that. Yeah. But I actually think that, you know, if you, I don't know if you've experienced this, but as you're building your self-awareness and emotional regulation, that actually happens. You're like, you can concurrently experience what you're experiencing and also observe it like yeah, yeah. I'm really pissed off right now like what is going on so you're you're really feeling it you're really pissed off and you're also observing the fact that you're pissed off and that is a sign of the growth you know growth in you too it's, so it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it and you experienced that ever before where you're like in it and also observing it yeah as soon as i realize it's happening i'm pretty good at shutting it down right and that's, well, that's what your aim is so your aim is yeah. not your aim is not to stop feeling what you're feeling. Your aim is to be aware of it and decide what you want to do about it. Yeah. There's a couple of people in my family that have uh, not that problem. They like they get uh, angry and it's just like you can just like you could sit there all day and you just see them like uh, negatively ruminating and they're just digging it, digging that that hole deeper in their head. Yeah. And uh, I was around one of them once and there was like there was like a frustration happening. There was like a we were moving something across the country and it was like on a Sunday. And so we had to like put something in a box. And then uh, they, they put a lock on it. And so like, I'm trying to bust the lock off. And I'm like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting pissed off because it's like, it's cold out. I'm like bloody knuckles trying to open this thing up. And the other person's like getting pissed off too. And then as soon as I popped it off, uh, I, I like, I went back to being calm. And they were like, why is he so calm? And so they're like, like, they're so pissed off. And they're like, oh, well, I was irritated, but I used the energy. <laughs> like, I didn't like calm myself down because I wanted to like, you know, uh, like uh, Hulk it a little bit. And then as soon as it was over, it's like, okay, I can calm down now. <laughs> there's, yeah. I remember them looking at me like, why is he do? Why is he a little calm now? Like he looked at me like I was an alien. It was funny. Wait, did you have you taken the enneagram? Do you know what your type is? Uh, yes. I I was trying to find where I sent it to. I think I sent it on LinkedIn. It was like a 
There's like three different types. Let's see if I can find, uh, Google it real quick. Um, I sent it to you. There's like three different ones. That was like, there's like a prime one. And then there's like two other ones. I think I, I sent it on LinkedIn. So everyone bear with me as I Google these things. Uh, Janine. Also, Janine uh, is nice on LinkedIn. You guys, people should follow her in a not creepy way. Um, I think I sent it to you. If this is like a one-off, I won't spend too much time on this. But I, I s well, no, I it's not LinkedIn. There's something, there's something that you said that made me wonder what type you are. Know. Yeah. I, I know I took it and I sent it to someone and there was three. I don't remember what they were. Okay. Well, who did I send it to? I said, who else would I have been talking to besides you on this? I don't know. I look. Yeah. Okay. You're like the only person I talked to about EQ. I don't know, but maybe find it. You can, you can email me later and I'll tell you if my. Yeah. Okay. EQ. What would be your guess? Well, just based on, I, I wouldn't normally have thought this, but I, there, there's something you said around just letting that anger go. That's, that is something that the Enneagram 8 does, which uh, a lot of founders and CEOs are Enneagram 8. They tend to be um, focused on accomplishment of big things, like big impact, and yeah. uh, don't like to be controlled. And, and another characteristic is that anger is just energy so they can come in and just be like super pissed and, you know, like express a lot of anger. And then they're then it just, it's nothing. It just goes away. And then the rest of the people in the room are like, what the hell is that? Like a tornado hit them because other people do not experience anger that way. So that, that's the, the only reason I asked. The, uh, funny enough, eight was the only, like in my head, I kept thinking eight. And I was like, I don't know how many there are, but eight it was like, Eight, but then at the same time, my wife took it too, and so I, there's a there's an eight and five is in my head, but I don't know which is which. You could be, yeah. Fives are uh, sort of very, very data oriented, and hmm. data driven humans. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. A lot of researchers and data scientists and software engineers. Are uh, I'm sorry, are fives. What are what are you then? Uh, I'm a three, which is an achiever. I've got is what. I was just gonna say, if you could pick anyone to be, is that the one? Are you happy with being a three? You know, I kind of am. I mean, threes are—it's kind of it's funny. Threes have—I mean, threes are really good at getting things done and actually good at achieving things. Uh, the downside is that there's this sort of side to us where we really want to be acknowledged for it and seen and called out, and like credentials matter to us and things like that. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of creepy, but. So there's like things I love about it, and there's also things that are a little bit crazy about it. But I think that's true for every type. But ultimately, I really like it. I used to actually think I was a different type called a helper, and then I realized that I essentially had to function that way because of some, you know, some things that went down in my childhood. And that's an interesting thing. Is like what I like about acknowledging that I'm a three that I genuinely feel that's what I am, and it's very helpful. So I feel like I actually own it now. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's um from my point of view, I don't think it's cringy to need I mean not need but like appreciate being appreciated. Cuz sometimes, you know, it's yeah. like you just want to thank you or like hey, you're doing a good job or I appreciate what you did there. You know, I I don't think that's cringy. I think it's like people should be saying thank you when you do something. But I think what's what's cringy about it there's a little bit of like a calculative side to it. Like hmm. we're very calculating about how we go about who do we give time to and things like that in order to get what we want in terms of acknowledgement. So that's like the cringy part. Yeah. 
is the is your work with the animals moving towards an achievement it in some way um because to me you're doing some really interesting work some of your like things that's like wow that scare me if i was doing it like out in the especially the wolves i don't know like i'll go to the i think there's ones in africa i'll do that but uh anything that will eat me or has to potentially eat me i i don't like it even if they're domesticated why i lions lions technically could eat you so i felt like it <laughs> yeah go to africa no problem um so the, what's the question about the animal stuff around around the achievement or what yeah is it is it leading somewhere it, it feels like it's something that does a lot for people but it my 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 gut feels like it's it's an in between step to something else that you're like leading towards. Like it feels like there's something that's gonna be coming that like integrates that all into like a larger thing that you're even working on. Well, I I have I have a theory. I have a hypothesis that came to me right around the start of COVID that it was really essential that humans get connected with the earth that we are disconnected from it. Like. I don't think I need to explain that. We are clearly not connected to the earth upon which we live. And that it would be really important to get into nature and working with animals to foster that. And from that place of connectedness, I think that leaders can develop more quickly and have more impact themselves. So that's like my big, the big goal is really around that. You know, what What's a way to sort of expedite self-awareness and growth in leaders so that they can then in turn impact their people and in turn hopefully help heal the world no big mm. deal yes well it's uh there's been i've been watching some really interesting talks and it says it says the next 10 years are gonna be pretty bad and it's like oh that's gonna be fun it, it's gonna be pretty bad for any assuming a super volcano doesn't go off it's gonna be bad for everybody who is in, in america it's like well it sucks yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting time I, I don't know. We'll see if we get through it, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get through it because we're in America. But like everyone else, it's kind of like there's like a retraction on stuff, and uh, and like the populations, like populations aren't really there to rebound. It's I don't know. I I, was, I can send you like some of the talks and stuff I've been watching. It's like I don't know. Said did someone get arrested? Can you hear them go by? I can. I definitely can hear all of them. We got some we got some ambiance today. Like someone's getting arrested or something. Um, I was hoping no one could hear it. It was it was pretty loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, I, so I think all that's why I think EQ. One of the reasons why I think EQ and what you're working on is so important it, because we're we had there's a, like I'm a millennial. I'm thirty. It's a very there's been a lot of stuff that millennials have been ha having to deal with. You know, we've had like 2008 financial crisis as we graduated high school, and now we have COVID and all these other things. So it's like. I think some people could say like, well, it sucks. They're like doom and gloom. Like we can't uh, do well and whatnot. And it's like, if you can learn these principles that we're talking about, you kind of like, you'll ground yourself and you can go forward and not in like a, like you've been kind of like rule for fear to some extent. And I'm on, I'm on some of these forums where like, it's just like people my age talking. It's like, oh wow, that's really sad. Like there's so much like sadness. Um, like people either work at a place where their their bosses yell at them, call them all hours and blah, blah, all these different things. And they set up boundaries, but then they like, I don't know, like may or fire. I don't know. Like all these like, horrible things that people have to deal with. And that's, um, and that's, one, of, like, that's one of the reasons why I think like it would it'd be great if like we decoupled a lot of the stuff from business. Like America seems like a, 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 a country that was built on benefiting corporations, but that's a, a separate point. I think learning these principles can have people have healthier lives and then help them achieve a much more successful life because right. After a certain point, when you can kind of like get a little elbow room in terms of your financial stuff taken care of, um, 
there's a lot of stuff that can go on just in your head where at the end of the day you can be sitting with your friends hanging out and then like just it to and from work like while you're listening to this podcast you can start like hey how do i think about these things oh i can take a test like get a better understanding of myself because um if if you don't understand yourself people are kind of like like to some extent ruling you like events rule you versus like you having a say on events and that's a very like how how things go go entirely differently when you're aware of yourself versus not aware of yourself and everything yeah. we're talking about is not, you know, like you mentioned, it's not just about who you are as a leader and how you work. It's about who you are as a human. It all applies. Like, usually people are the same in their personal life as in work. They might control it a little bit more at work, but pretty much what it, what it is is what it is. And all, often these triggers are formed really early in childhood. They tend to have all groups. Yeah. yeah. I like to sometimes look at people and imagine what happened to them as, as kids that made them this way. Right. And then I meet the, I, I like meeting people's parents for that reason. Like yeah. if, if I can, I like to, I like to meet everyone's parents. Like I think when people are dating, they're like, Oh, do I have to meet the parents? Like, no, I'll meet the parents. It's so much fun. Every problem you've been having, you can see where it started. <laughs> That's true. And then hopefully you can actually, you know, help the person with it as opposed to a lot of times it's, you know, it's that can help you to not just get frustrated by what's happening. It's help you to help them gain self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I helping other people is like a nice thing. I think sometimes people feel that like in helping other people, it takes from themselves. And there is a level like if you give so, too much mm-hmm. of your stuff that you're not feeding yourself, you got, you know, I think, uh, I think of like building a bridge. So when you build a bridge, uh, usually I'm thinking of a place in Illinois, in Illinois in, in the Quad Cities where like they were building a bridge and then wow. Illinois was like, we don't want to pay for it. So then I was like, you know, what, we'll pay for it. And then they built the rest of the bridge. But that's, you know, you can do that when it benefits you enough. But typically when you're building a bridge, you have to have a firm foundation on yourself before you can build it to the other side. And that's how I think of relationships or what you're doing with anything. So um, if you want to help other people, like, do you have a firm foundation to allow yourself to help other people? The more aware of your own stuff you are, the firmer your foundation, the more bridges you can build. And then, you know, commerce and all that, you know, the metaphor probably breaks down. But um, I think to the original point, when you help other people, it usually benefits you. It feels great. It feels good to help other people. And then it's there's a there's a saying like if you lend someone twenty dollars that you'll never hear them again. I love lending people twenty dollars. It's like if I never see them again, I just save so much time and money. It's like here's twenty dollars. There you go. What are you gonna do now? And I just watch them. And then it goes into your secret database that you just talked about earlier, like your human yes. human observation database. Yeah, I mean everyone does it. I I just you know have a podcast where I, I do it while doing other things at the same time and anyone can listen in and, and build their own database everyone's building their own database it's all instinct like i think uh like instincts for instance like when you can meet someone and like i, I think this is really um a dangerous thing here is like women are always women in particular because they're like smaller and i don't know all these reasons for it but like people target them more especially Native american women uh but that you know that's a, a topic that we address that with a couple of Native american people who are coming on the show but um it's like if you li- you're always told to listen to your gut but there's, there's, in, there's, I've heard from uh, a couple of my female friends where it's like they're in a situation where it's like they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to like listen to their, like they, they're listening to their gut. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to like actually listen to their gut, if that makes sense. Like there's like, there's a difference between like they, they hear it, but then their actions are kind of divorced from it. And they get better as they age. Like there's some of my friends are now like 35. And they'll talk to me like, oh, when they first were dating, they didn't know, they didn't understand how to say no, even though they felt like they should say no. And they got into a lot of, you know, not very good, uh, uh, situations like that uh men don't tell me these things but women tell me they, they have these types of problems that's why I, I focus on them i mean it's uh there can be you know literal 
ramifications for acting on gut feelings that are dangerous. Yeah. Reason I think, and also conditioning. I mean, we, not that long ago we were property in some places in the world and are so. I think there's some cellular DNA-based reactivity probably happening there too. But society still supports that. You know, it's like it might not act like it, but it's pretty embedded. To making women feel like they have to go a certain way? Yeah, to, yeah, to negating intuition. You know, think like I'd say generally speaking, things like intuition, gut feelings, you know, using the heart, they're more feminine, energetic qualities, and those are definitely not at the forefront in society. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but sometimes I feel like there's this, what society generally, like people, you know, it collectively wants you to do. But then if you find out what you want to do and you do that, even if it's at the counter to what society wants, um, it usually goes nice for you. Like, I, I mean, you get you get fr frustration. I just talked to Joe Zayner and she was telling me that she gets a lot of hate <laughs> from people. And it's like, well, I just ignore them, you know, but at the same time, and who hates me? I, I ignore, you know, most things. But uh, so I, I guess like it's good if you have like that center, like that North Star to guide you through it, but it's not fun to go through. No, it can't be. That's something that reminds me of something Renee Brown talks about where there's this concept of an arena and knowing who is in, you know, if you're brave enough to kind of go out and do your thing, to know who's in the arena watching and that there's only certain people that matter and you just need to learn to know who those people are. Like be aware of systemic power dynamics, be aware of the people that are just the blah, 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 and they're probably not doing anything brave. They're just sitting there criticizing you doing something brave. And then, you know, there's the people that actually matter to you, the people that are your people, and that's who you care about. You just learn to learn who to give credence to, essentially. Yeah. When, uh, were you ever concerned, or as you moved, I think originally you were a software engineer, right? Yeah, long. That was my first career, yep. Okay. How long ago was that? I feel like that was only like 10 years ago. No, no, that was like right out of college. So, you know, it was in like the 80s and 90s. Okay. That's software engineering in the 90s? I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah we were. <laughs> just joking. With our advocates, and we were just moving the little things mm -hmm. around. Yeah, and we, you know, yes, there was actual literal technology back then. Yeah, I think uh, I think you told me once that you had to use wayfinding to find your way to school. You know, you had to like look at the horizon and then uh, figure out oh, <laughs> you know, you're not Polynesian, <laughs> find that's a new that's island. That's how it rolls. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would want to learn uh, wayfinding, but no one will teach me. Um, Google will tell you a little bit how to do it, but uh, but when it comes to what you're doing now, was there? Did you have any fear or apprehension about? I mean, I mean, you hear me talk about like, oh, I'm gonna, I don't want to go around with anything that eats me, but you seem pretty pretty chill about it. Oh, about the animals? Yeah, I know. I I thought about that. I was talking to somebody about that. How? So just to give context, there's some programs that I run where uh, I leaders and work with them with animals so in some cases it's wolves and then there's also a program i'm doing in kenya on the masai mara with all kinds of wild animals and um i am not scared at all and i don't know why like it's like i sometimes wonder if i should be it's almost like i actually think i'm more scared of humans than i am of animals i think because there's nothing malicious about them First of all, I you know I do, it's not like I go and I do something stupid. I'm very, I observe and I'm very cognizant and present when I'm with the animals and I don't do stupid things. Um, but also, they I in my observations they they're not aggressive. They they stay away from humans. 
you know, they don't want to be near you. And especially if you are, have hot energy or there's some lack of congruence in you, they'll just kind of like stay away from you. So I don't, you know, especially with wolves, I mean, it's so completely characterized in the media. Um, they're very shy. And so there's, you know, and, and also you, know, you have to do it responsibly. So you have to really have a genuine respect for the fact that these are wild animals and treat them accordingly. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I, I, maybe I should be scared. I'm not. Um, is there, is there a thing that the predators give you that you couldn't do like with chickens? Does it, does it have to be such scary animals? Uh, well, it's not so much scary to me. It's more pack animals. Pack mm. animals. Oh, okay. They, you know, Social dynamics. Very healthy team dynamics because their literal survival is dependent upon it. So I also do it with horses, which are less, hopefully less, I don't know. Some people are scared of horses too. I'm scared of horses. They're too big. Yeah, some people think they're too big. Um, but the pack dynamic quality is there. And the other thing is that, you know, they, they don't do anything malicious. Like people have all kinds of crap. Like animals don't do crap. They don't do things to like, you know, they, it's not the same type of thing where they're they're doing something in reaction to what you've done. They are just reacting to the moment based on survival and other things like that. So it's really pure. Mm -hmm. Do you um do you feed them a ton before people come out? So you have like a hundred percent like it's like if you ever go to the grocery store and you're hungry, like you, you eat a lot more. Well, first of all, I don't feed. You know, there's people that take care of the wolves and they are well fed and well taken care of. And you know they're people. You know they don't like eating humans. Like apparently you things like mm. that. Animals, in generally speaking, I've I've learned do not like humans. The only time that they would attack a human, and possibly if they were really starving, but it's really more probably to be self defense or if they're startled. They're not. They just would never do that. Not for Do you um when people come out, do you just like put them in front of the animals and see how the animals like in terms of like um. Like sometimes people say what they are, but then you can do tests and like sometimes like that doesn't give you the best results. But if the mm -hmm. animals, they have like a really powerful instinct, that's how they go about their lives, you know, pack dynamics and stuff. Yeah. Um, so you ever just like put people in front of the animal and be like, hmm, let's see what's going to happen. Like yeah. do, does it continue to confirm who those people are to you or in in working with the animals, do, you, do they reveal new aspects of themselves to you? It can probably, I would say more the latter. It's in a lot of mm -hmm. it with the animals it's more to do with the meaning that the person makes of what the interaction is not so much what the interaction is more like like say let's say i'm working with somebody uh and a horse the horses are going to do things right you know you can invite a horse to do something but it's about you know they weigh a thousand pounds they can do whatever the hell they want to do so let's say you know you're i'm coaching somebody with a horse and the horse walks away and then the person's like well they don't like me you know like no idea what the horse is doing or thinking why they're walking they might be walking away because there's some hay over in a corner or their friend is doing something or who knows what and so that's where you coach around is what is the meaning that that person makes of the interaction with the horse that can be really illuminating that's sort of indicative usually of how they're interacting with humans in life right yeah that's interesting yeah so um what's the capacity that you can take out because i'm sure you can't like you know have like 100 people out at the same time stuff is all one-on-one -on -one, so you know, mm -hmm. that's coaching music although you can do teamwork as well i just am not doing that yet with the wolves probably like 20 at a time and with a kenya program those are smaller they're probably and people maximum mostly because the camps out there are pretty small you know it's not like you can have like 
they're not compelled to follow the but that's the right number anyway. Yeah. And so the purposes, they're kind of like a mirror to social dynamics with people. Are there other, um, are there other, um, aspects of your coaching? So that, I think that's, that's good for social dynamics. Are there other ways that you plan to, um, like do this, like kind of retreat in person type events to, to help them with other things? So there's like social dynamics, maybe it's like a personal thing, like climbing a mountain. I don't know. Uh, other ways you would like capture helping people with these different problems. Like, do you yeah. have any other, uh, like non-animal plans? Not animal. Well, I mean, staying with the animals, there's a self-awareness piece. But I mean, in terms of the coaching, I don't, you know, all the regular stuff. I mean, I do a lot of just, I do most of my work without animals. It's just that's a passion for me. Oh, yeah. But interestingly, there's a couple of people I work with. Like one of them is a a coach that's doing programs um, that are sort of like almost outward bound life. Because that's her thing. And she's actually an outward bound elevator. So there's other variations of this I'm hearing. There's another person I know that's a coach that is also a, a snowboard instructor. She mm-hmm. wants to actually take people out and do work. It's same similar kind of theme of like get people outside into nature. I think in general, anything like that that gets people out of their super cerebral way of linearly thinking is a way to open up self-awareness growth. Yeah. So that's kind of a thing I have throughout whatever I do. But I just always yeah. do with animals. Are there, um, how do you challenge yourself to find bl- potential blind spots or to enhance your own uh, strengths or weaknesses? You know, I'm always learning, reading, paying, you know, paying, yeah. having hard conversations. I mean, at Evolution, where I, I coach, we do very deliberate self development work. I mean, every time we have our, our all hands off sites, we go somewhere, there's always self development whatever it might be one of us facilitating something that we've learned how to do but you know it's just i think most coaches and therapists are pretty much wired to you know it's like if i'm not willing to do it myself how can i expect you to do it so we're all pretty growth-minded in fact if you have a coach or a therapist that isn't doing that i'd be a little concerned yeah i'll talk yeah uh cognitively lazy people are pretty easy to pick, uh, pick out that they just kind of do it. it's like uh, when you see a doctor they're like i'm prescribing this thing to you and you ask why it's like i've been doing this for 20 years and that's just what i subscribe to people it's like it, go right? away <laughs> go away just find beyond laziness of uh perhaps unhealthy ego you know mm-hmm. i've had that many coaches for example that are like god i'm a great coach like no usually coaches are a little bit like a little, little tinge of like wait who am i to be doing this and that, that goes away over time with experience, but there's usually humility that goes along with it. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been seeing a, uh, some people go into coaching, like life coaching or whatever, and um, they're not like you in the sense that you're, you seem very grounded. You seem like, you know, you, you know where you are in the world and what you want to do to help other people. Mm-hmm. Some, of the, some of the people entering into the field, uh, like their house is not in order at all and that they want to help other people. I wonder, you know, I wonder why that is like, I know a number of people have had, you know, some not, not good things happen to them. And so they're like, oh, I'm gonna help other people. I'm gonna take this experience and use it to help other people, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like trust their yeah. advice. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, well, you're kind of right. I think a lot of people that do go into this sort of the human type of thing do it because they've had their own 
kind of version of hell that they've gone through and come out the other side and therefore they want to help other people. And I don't know, maybe it's just a process of experience, you know, uh, meaning that over time, you continue to build your own self-awareness and learn more and grow more and you get more grounded. Like, yeah, I, I definitely like I'm pretty grounded in some ways, but also like I've got chronic anxiety, I've got complex PTSD. So, you know, I, I've learned how to manage it. And usually I show up well, sometimes I'm like not, I'm not good and I still have to do my job. And so it really mm-hmm. just I have to be really deliberate about, you know, breathing and taking care of myself in the moment. But, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I think with finding a coach, you got to find the right person for you and just be aware that, um, you know, we're not, it's not like we've solved it. We've yeah. not solved it. We're all still in process, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think anyone listening in should either contact you or watch any, you know, follow along on, you know, your social medias. And if you recommend someone, like, okay, go check that person out. Because I mean, yeah. it's like bird of a feather, you know, you know, good people. Well, that's the thing. Also, yeah, for sure. When you're looking for a coach or a therapist, ask people. Get some people that have talked to the person. That's for sure the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there a, we've talked about some of the achievement things that you, you're, you're working on right now. Is there, um, is there some, is there another mountain you're working towards right now? Like something that you're, that isn't uh, the animal work or the coaching that you have going on? You know, not really other than doing it's going to sound weird, but doing less. So I think I, you know, I've always been, again, very true to the Enneagram Achiever, like go, go, go. Yes, yes, yes. Everything. And I'm really trying to um, tap more into what my heart wants to do and what my soul wants to do, which has been pretty foreign territory for me my whole life. And so I'm just kind of, I'm focusing on slowing down. I'm only doing what I want to do. I tend to like do big things and I'll like sell big work and like that stuff in some ways, but also it's like, I'm just kind of experimenting with like, what happens if I did sell it, but then other people have always need to go career. I don't need to do everything. Yeah. That's a little bit of a shift in how I'm approaching life. Um, yeah, just, it sounds weird. It's like, it's almost like my, my new goal is to not achieve quite as much. How's that going? Good, actually. I really had a big shift when I went to Africa, which is another reason I want people to go there. It's like I went in one person and I came out another person. And it's really helped me to shift my perspective and make different choices. So it's going well. Yeah. Do you, um, when you're, when you're experimenting with stuff like that, are you, uh, does it help to know that there's like these principles where they say like 20% of your actions result in 80% of your results? I hate using the same word in in a sentence, but, um, So in the sense, like by doing less, you might actually end up doing more or do you have to like, try not try to ignore that. Cause like, you don't, you don't want to have like the thought of like doing more. You want like, right. In this yeah. case, I mean, I can see that happening in other cases. In this case, it's almost like, I don't want to focus on that because that's not, that would be like old patterning for me. Yeah. I do this. Am I going to, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, make more money, get more acknowledgement, et cetera. I don't want to do that. I want to. My, my goal is really more about being more aligned with my purpose. And I think a lot of my purpose is around the impact I can have and the best of the That makes sense. Um, and I think I was reading recently that you came out of like a self-imposed, ex- not exile, but like a, a hermitage. Like you're a little bit of a turtle and now you're coming out of your shell a little bit more. 
Yeah, there was a period. It was, a, it, you know, it's been about a year now. Um, but I went through what I call the life tornado. A life tornado was one of those times when just like, you know, those 10, like, this is list of the largest stresses in life. I was just going through like kind of on the time. Yeah. Pretty relentless for a few years. And, and I'm an isolator. So when that happened, I just like totally shut down, removed myself from humans. And, and I removed myself from myself. I just was in survival mode. So um, I'm alive again, yay! I've come alive yes. again, uh, but it took a while. That was a, that was that was a process. Did were you were you? How did you know to start coming back? You know what I mean? Like uh, you were living through it, and at a certain point, it like stabilized, and then you probably had some like after effects after that. But then, how did you know? Like, okay, I can start coming out again. I think I just had some perspective and distance from it. And I realized how just because I, I think what really happened is I noticed that I just couldn't connect with anybody. Uh, meaning like I I go hang out and have coffee or lunch or something with a friend. And I just like, I almost felt like there was a barrier between us. I felt literal. Hmm. Like I could not touch them, not literally touch them, but I couldn't connect with them. And that made me realize, okay, something's not right. <laughs> and I started to kind of look into the, from that angle. And that made me realize yeah did um was it like uh after realizing did you say like hey to my friends like hey i've been doing this thing you get the social support or like how did you go about it after realizing it yeah i realized i need to get myself back in therapy and i got a therapist yeah. i don't i don't tend to work through things with other people like i said i isolate so but therapy is safe. you know something i've been in and out of therapy across my life because i told you i got you know, to have yeah, so I worked through it with her, and, and now I mean I'm very open talking about like I'm not like I don't keep it inside. I like talking about it, especially if there's mental health issues going on with me because I feel like it normalizes it for other people. Because especially now, a lot of people are doing things like that. But therapist, an awesome therapist. How do you um how do you assess a good therapist versus a bad therapist? Like how do you know it's the right fit? Um, I think that's similar to, you know, when you're picking a coach, there's whatever you're looking for, you know, there's like hard skills. So I wanted somebody mm -hmm. that back on with people with uh, trauma and PTSD. Um, she also, when I, first of all, I was referred to her. So I got the recommendation from somebody. Mm -hmm. And when I first site, there was a quote by Rumi and I love Rumi. I'm like, okay, probably has a similar sort of soul, soulful way of looking at life along with the hard background I wanted. And then I think it comes down to the trust factor. Like, do not go against your gut feeling. You can sort of feel about it. Just like, have you ever bought, do you, do you own your house? No, yeah. I live in an apartment. Apartment. Okay, so if you ever, like, bought a house or even a job thing, or even, like, think about your wife. Like, you know how you, like, when you don't totally know, you try to talk yourself into it? But then when you meet the one or you find the place or you find the job, you're like, oh, that does. It's, like, effortless. It's like you just know. It should kind of be like that. You didn't have to talk yourself into it. Yeah. The uh, it's a fun Amy, uh my wife and I have a funny meet cute. When I first met her, I was like, I knew I was gonna marry her. Like literally first time I met her, I was like my whole body was like someone just entered my life. And from her point of view, it's a nice guy asked if I want candy. <laughs> That's literally her point of view of it. She like got off the elevator, she were in college, and I was like, Hey, do you want some candy? Because I like it was one of my jobs. I just like give candy and like ask how people his day was. And uh she was like, That that boy was nice. <laughs> that was her point of view. I joke with her about it all the time because like mine is more like uh uh you know it sounds romantic, but then hers is like <laughs> he gave so I, I joke that uh 
uh, this isn't a response to what you said, but I'm just now telling a funny story. The, some, sometimes I joke that it, it's a good thing that, um, no person with a, a van that said I have candy on it didn't come by and like try and kidnap her. Cause like, that's yeah. who she would be married to now. <laughs> Cause like, that's all she needed. It's like, hey, he's a good guy. He gave him candy. Um, but yeah. Uh, so in my case, yeah, it worked out. Cause I trust him instincts. I, I'm sure like she, she, maybe she had other feelings. I don't know, but I think that's funny. Um, the, uh, so in, I know we're coming to the end. What, um, We've heard some advice throughout this uh, for people who are navigating the complex, you know, maybe they were sent this by the friend or listening to this during a workout. Is there any advice, any, you know, challenges, anything you push them or suggest that they uh, do to uh, maybe like get themselves out of their box if they're like kind of like stressing out and having anxiety from like last two years? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think like really important to understand what are those things that get you in a grounded state and then do them deliberately, like actually do them. Don't just like think about them. Even if you have to force yourself in the beginning, a little bit of fake it till you make it. So do that. Um, you know, if you're, if you're spinning out on things and you're having trouble letting it go, there's a Brene Brown thing called, right. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Okay. City yeah. first draft, which actually comes to, Oh, I love that. He took it from Annie Lamont, who's an author, a great author. Uh, And the idea is that you take a situation, you just kind of barf it out on a piece of paper. So literally unedited, something you never want another thing to do. Everything going on around it, emotions, thoughts, feelings, things that you wouldn't say out loud, most likely. And then once you barf it, then you do what's called creating a delta, which is you make a two-column thing, you identify in what you wrote, what are the data facts, put them in one column and then what's the everything else and everything else you usually there's like three facts and like five thousand other things you know things that you're making up things that are opinions or assumptions or whatever and by looking at that it can usually help you to get in a state where you can really come to terms with what the thing is because the thing is like something happened you know two or three things happened and then you have this massive overreaction to it or reaction to it. It's not necessarily an overreaction. And then you can decide what you want to do about it from a, usually a more grounded state once you've looked at and acknowledged that you've made up a lot about it that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for building resilience and getting over things. I think there's, uh, for anyone, uh, if you do it and you feel comfortable sharing, I'll leave it in the comments. I don't know. Uh, but at the same time, it's probably really personal, so you don't need to share if you don't want to, but Please give it a try. Worst case scenario, you spend five minutes doing something new. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. It's easy in that regard, in terms of time. Yeah, it is. It doesn't take that long. And uh, most people don't like to share it, but you might want to show the impact. What it yeah. is. The process is a big thing. Yeah. And then uh, uh, we touched on a couple of books, but I always like to, I'm making like a master spreadsheet of every book that everyone's ever recommended. So um, yeah, it, there's a lot actually. It's like, I'm like slowly working on it, like like a little bit. Like I have to like take Sundays and stuff because I have to go through all my interviews. But um, what books would you recommend? Well, around these topics, I mean, definitely Dangalee by Brene Brown, which I probably recommended last time. There's a uh, Working with Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, which is great. What else did we touch on today? Oh, there's an interesting book called Biomimicry, which is I forgot the author's name. Jimmy Brene is also it's basically talking about. Um, taking lessons and wisdom from nature as a design basis for human existence. Really interesting kind of concept. Um, 
And then on culture and values, uh, a couple of colleagues just wrote a book on startup culture called Scale Without Losing Your Soul, which is a really, it's a fabulous book, primer on, you know, setting up culture and walking the talk. Mm -hmm. Those are the books that come to mind now based on what we talked about. Sweet. And then are there, um, so like this, this weekend, if you get anyone, if they're not reading these books, is there like a movie or a show you want them to check out as well? Oh, on these topics or just in general? In general, just, yeah, you know, anything you enjoy. If you haven't watched The Bear, watch that. The second guy I recommended, there's an episode going up right now, and he recommended The Bear. I mean, it's it's one of the best shows. It's like Ted Lasso level goodness. It's it's different than, it's very different than Ted Lasso, but it's like that good. It's like a must watch. It's pretty intense. It's, It's pretty emotional, but it's. Yeah, uh, I was tempted to just every time we said Ted Lasso, have like a little Ted Lasso face pop up in the corner and just like have him watch us and then go back down. But then I was like, will I get sued for this? It, it, you know, they have lots of money and I have less money than them. So, but um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Don't take my legal advice on that though. <laughs> yes. Yes. I won't, I won't hold you accountable for it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm watching Bear this weekend actually because of you know the guy and now because of you. So uh, if it goes well, it is your fault. But if it, Go spoil it's my fault. So I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Thank you for joining us today with the Learn With Lowell show. Check us out at learnwithlowell.com. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Subscribe. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. That's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, Timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.